I'm one of a group of very important people who've been watching you for quite a while. We have great plans for you, which is why earlier I let you in on one of the world's greatest secrets. What secrets? That everything mankind does is much, much easier if you're ever so slightly drunk. <laughs> that sensation you get between half and three-quarters of the way down your second drink of the day, when you've just taken the edge off and feel that anything is possible. <laughs> How did you feel after that wine I gave you? Like anything was possible. Exactly. That was a sketch from that Mitchell and Webb look where a mysterious organisation explains the secret behind humanity's true potential is getting slightly sloshed. This week I'm reviewing two more movies I saw earlier this year at the London Film Festival, both closely tied to that most glorious and popular of drugs, the national institution that is alcohol. I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just talking about films. This is Cellcast. Who are you people? We're a group bound by the creed that humanity is better and more noble after very nearly two drinks than at any other time. We've been around for centuries. No one knows quite how long, but then it's hard to be precise when you're constantly slightly pissed. You're the inebriati. I thought you were just a myth. Actually, we prefer the term Knight's Tippler. Hello. It's just me again, just Lawrence. Uh, So these are going to seem grossly out of date because I saw these about six weeks ago. And honestly, with getting absorbed with US election nonsense, uh, regular day-to-day lockdown stuff and finding new and interesting ways to procrastinate, I just never got around to recording any of these. But I really wanted to talk about these films, so I'm going to share them now with you anyway. Uh, Maybe seeing the subject matter, you can see it as more like the morning after rather than the night before or something like that. I don't know, some, some drinky analogy. I don't know. Anyway, first review up is Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. And it's directed by Bill Ross and Turner Ross. It's the last day for Dive Bar The Roaring Twenties, a watering hole in a rundown corner of Las Vegas. The regulars all turn up to bid their own goodbye to their favourite bar, and as the night and boozing goes on, everyone has to find their own way of making sense of the end, or maybe making absolutely no sense at all. Or, as a haiku, end of days, or nights, vino veritas, maybe? Who knows with this lot? And here's a clip. Twenties. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking how I'm doing. First person today. Anybody want a drink, a shot, tell a story? You're making me realize I haven't smelled that smell in a long time. What kind of a party is it if an Australian guy doesn't take his pants off? I've been saying that for years. Bloody Nose Empty Pockets is perhaps the most film festival film I saw at the film festival. It's an experiment, and like what often happens with experimental film, the results are mixed. But it's a result that I enjoyed watching nonetheless, and has grown on me the morning after. So, an explanation. The Roaring Twenties is a bar that does exist in reality, but it's not in Las Vegas, it's actually in New Orleans, where the filmmakers call home. The cast are in a fictional film, and they've been given a vague idea of where to broadly steer the fiction. However, everything else, including the booze, is real. There's little direction, people are playing themselves mostly, and the majority of the film was shot over one 18-hour stint in the bar. Now, there are pluses and minuses to this kind of gonzo filmmaking. 
On the one hand, you get a film that is truly unique, something usually very memorable that can go in any direction, and might have the kind of magic you couldn't get with an infinite budget and a reanimated Stanley Kubrick. However, the risk is that they can peter off into groggy, unsatisfying messes, no matter the degree of magic. Bloody Nose is somewhere in between these things. It's probably the most divisive film I'm going to see at the festival, because I know out there there'll be people that adore this style, and people that are thoroughly turned off by it. I think I lie somewhere in between this. So, first, it's strengths. I love bars. Especially now with everything so restricted, heading out to locations built for all the things that booze will give you is a wonderful thing to do. I also can't help but be suckered in by the romantic concept of the American dive bar as well. Dark and dingy hangouts for the lost and those trying to be lost, serving hard liquor to a colourful bunch of characters into the early morn. And the film does give you a feeling of being in that environment in glorious fashion. As the night goes on and the clientele become more inebriated, you warm to them more, almost getting more meaning out of them as the night goes on, and as on a real night out. The more intoxicated you get, the more important truths you feel you're reaching, which is sometimes rendered a bit empty come the cold morning light. The most prominent character is Michael, most dedicated patron of the Roaring Twenties. In his late fifties and a former business person and wannabe actor, he proudly proclaims, I was never an alcoholic until after I was a failure. You can see how much the bar means to him, not just in every person he greets, but also how he helps get people out, offers help with the bar, he feels linked to it. He doesn't just drink at the bar, but he'll take a break to read a book, take a nap, wake up and then drink some more at the bar. There's a tremendous amount of regret in him too. Towards the end, he huddles close to a young musician and gives him the advice to never go to a bar after this one and then keep on not going into bars because there's nothing sadder than a guy that used to do stuff but doesn't anymore because he's in a bar. Michael's certainly not the only patron with that emotion. Regret seems to flow as much as any liquor in the Roaring Twenties. Lots of tears, people of older generations that are crying maybe about a lost relationship, a feeling of abandonment from their country, or just crying for some reason that they don't articulate. There's this sense inside the bar of people that love and live and have fun, but underneath aren't really satisfied with their lot and would give anything for a reset button. Maybe they drink and that's what hurt them, or maybe they got hurt and that's why they drink. People reveal tidbits about their lives and their past, but... Like on a real night out, you don't know what really makes up these people. You can just see the emotion at the top. The rest of the patrons also have interesting moments. Donald is a heavily tattooed Aussie that somehow found himself here to help celebrate. Shale is the long-suffering barmaid, eager for a way out, whose son is stealing booze and smoking weed behind the bar to her disapproval. Then there's a small group of 20-somethings that might be in the bar for ironic reasons, but form both bonds with the older generations and also clash occasionally. Two of these younger people edge towards each other in a moment of mutual, wordless leg-stroking that is sweet and sexy and seems impossible that it could have been scripted. That's that magic I was talking about earlier. The film at its peak, when it can capture something in time that, while not completely real, is nonetheless special and beautiful. The environment outside the bar seems to be vaguely apocalyptic, establishing shots are bathed in different colours and filters to more and more give the feeling that the bar is the only safe place. The TV switches between old Hollywood classics and hysterical news reports on something called a carnado, which I guessed was just a massive traffic jam. You wonder whether the world's coming to an end, just like the Roaring Twenties. So that magic, the strange moments of wisdom and beauty you feel that must be real even in a controlled environment, 
and watching this odd collection of people expressing the deep and the real in ways you'll never truly know but you do still understand. That's the good stuff. The bad side of it is that so much of it, like a great night out, is unintelligible. A lot of the dialogue is so alcohol-soaked and in the middle of noise that it's hard to make out just what the fuck anyone is saying. And you'll search for the beauty and the meaning in amongst the collection of characters, but not everyone is necessary. And I really couldn't begrudge anyone for disliking this because it's just pointing a camera at drunkards, which is kind of the stereotype of a student film. Is this just banal and easy? But really where part of me turns against this is about halfway through the film, when you realise it just doesn't have any direction, no real path. There are filmmakers that play with this style of filmmaking, like Sean Baker, who made Tangerine and the Florida Project, or the Safdie brothers, who made Uncut Gems and Good Time. These filmmakers blend real people and fictional characters in amongst a fictional film that nonetheless take on something that starts to become semi-real. But those films have a plot, a script, the frame of a beginning, middle and end. Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets doesn't. There's moments that stick in the brain, but a lot that doesn't. That is of course part of the deal with watching a film like this. You have to go through the aimless parts that flow into the forgettable for the unique experience. And although there are moments you notice, there's no great moment of clarity, no point. But then again, are there any great truths ever truly realised inside a bar? And maybe that's the test of whether or not you'll get anything out of this. Some moments could leave you seeing some point about the human condition, but could also make you think that nothing of any use was being said at all, or maybe you just couldn't understand anything. Where I sit on the spectrum is somewhere in the middle. More of the film has stuck with me than I thought, and for that it's to be commended, there are magic moments that feel like they're capturing something utterly real, people on the underside of life showing parts of themselves that you couldn't see anywhere else. But the whole thing is aimless, and too many chunks are lost in the ether of drunken mumbles, and that grates on me after a while, even if that is just part and parcel with the experiment. But maybe that's your thing. How much the concept excites you should determine if you see it, and also it depends how much you're missing being in a pub after 10pm. I'm gonna tell you what else it is. <laughs> it's a place where you can go where, where nobody else don't want your ass. Motherfuckers, that's in there, I got work in there. Bloody Nose Empty Pockets is currently available to rent and buy on the American Amazon Prime. No UK option yet, but if you can't get your hands on it now, I'd say it's likely to pop up in the new year. And the next film I want to talk about is Another Round. And it's a Danish film directed by Thomas Vinterberg. Martin, played by Mads Mikkelsen, is a Danish history teacher in middle age living a milk toast life. Without any passion, he's starting to lose his students, marriage, and his whole grip on the person he used to be. One of his colleagues on an unusually boozy birthday night tell him about a theory by a Norwegian psychiatrist that we're all born with 0.05% too little alcohol in our system. That's about one or two glasses of wine. With it back in our system, constantly, so the theory goes, we'll be more energetic, creative and confident, with little to no ill effects. Curious, Martin and his colleagues decide to embark on the experiment, seeing if being a little bit sozzled can help them turn their lives around. As the experiment goes on, they have to deal with the highs and the lows that this can give. Or, as a haiku, Best diet on earth. May cause fun and or dark times. Booze, glorious booze. And here's a clip. 
Afhældning. Daglig indtagelse af alkohol. Ja. Tilstrøm til konstant niveau på en halv promille. Med henblik på indsamling af evidens. Ja. Psykologiske og psykopatoriske følgevirkninger samt undersøgelse af forøget social og faglig udlægning. Det er kun i arbejdstiden, vi drikker, ikke? Men det er jo ligesom Hemingway. Vi drikker ikke efter 8 og ikke i weekenden. Our relationship with drugs is terrible as a society, both when it comes to our concept of what's healthy and of what's unhealthy, and it's one of those issues that never stops really riling me up. So a film that subverts these hypocrisies really got my attention. It sounds like a wacky idea, but it actually turns out to be a fun and pretty comprehensive examination of our relationship with alcohol. We can see this examination as the experiment unfolds and also starts to spin out of control. With alcohol in this system constantly, Martin is more animated, does have more enthusiasms. He drops his inhibitions and the anxieties that have been holding him back. The rest of the group see similar benefits in their lives. But the loss of the inhibition also leads to the temptation to up the dosage, to see how far they can push it and how good they can have it. The audience's reaction to this in the screening that I saw is as interesting as what's going on on screen. Me and the rest of the screening laughed wholeheartedly at the sneaking around of the group in the daytime and their more debauched episodes outside of normal life. Why is this funny? Perhaps there is some instinctive joy in, in middle-aged men behaving badly, of paternal-age adults we feel should know better letting loose and getting silly. There's a goofiness to it, a real mischievousness that brings a smile to your face. But also maybe because me and the vast majority of people that saw the film have a relationship with alcohol. There's some familial link with the shenanigans going on on screen. We've all been there. We'll all be there again. And that tells us something about our relationship with the drug, what behaviours we tolerate and even celebrate versus the cost. That cost is delved into too, the dangers of overindulging, the risks of addiction, of not being able to function is handled really well in the later parts of the film. They do this with a coldness and a heartbreaking melancholy. But the film also goes to lengths to show that alcohol for some of the members isn't the cause of their problems, that the destruction that the experiment takes them towards is just a symptom of a greater issue. Drugs can destroy lives, but sometimes it's not the drug that's the real problem. The camera work is key to handling these peaks and troughs. The camera will zoom in a little bit too much or sway gently, maybe going in and out of focus as if we are drunk along with whoever's on screen. In harsher moments, the camera slows and darkens as if everyone is caught in that quagmire of overindulgence and lost in the abyss of addiction, lonely and ostracised. In general, though, there's a lot of that Scandinavian sensibility, brilliant uses of natural light to convey beauty or ugliness. In general, you feel a film like this has to be where it's from. It's hard to imagine a British filmmaker handling this well, and even harder to imagine an American studio doing it either. Both would slip into fratty comedies, sexual hijinks, wild music video-esque times. Another round isn't about that. It's about the pure high of intoxication and the raw emotions you pull out of that, not the war stories, not the bragging of what happened last night. Mads and co are all great. Their chemistry is key to this working, and their ability to slip from harmless fools to sadder, more difficult creatures is no easy thing and requires a real range. The film won an audience award from the London Film Festival, and it's easy to see why. It's great to see a subject like this handled the way it is, taken with equal parts humour and seriousness, but both these approaches blended so subtly. Another round is a real crowd pleaser, a proper joy. You can take it in so many ways, there's depths to it, discussions that you can pull out of it, but it's so accessible, filled with moments of fun and positivity, you can't help but come out of it smiling. 
as I left the cinema in central London, I actually saw everything the film was talking about in the streets, and it's rare that that happens. People enjoying booze harmlessly, and, and people whose lives now revolve around it negatively. Another round might just be the film that we need to best understand that balance, even though that might involve losing our balance from time to time. Another Round isn't available anywhere at the moment, but it is Denmark's official entry to the Oscars next year, so expect around springtime to be able to easily access it uh, via streaming platforms, or fingers crossed, when cinemas open again. Thank you so much for listening to Cellcast. You can find and subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud as Cellcast, and come follow us on Twitter at Cell Magazine and like us on facebook.com forward slash cell magazine.